honest. I'm sorry. Thank you very much. I promise you there's not another church in America that that's not happening right now. I'm just saying. Uh, we're in our fifth week of our Homebreaker series, and as always, I am accompanied with my lovely wife, Kim. Y'all say hello to her. Morning. And uh, today we're talking about conflict. <laughs> How many of y'all have ever, and I'm not asking you to like, this may not have happened today, but how many of y'all have like, as you were going to church, you had conflict? Anybody that ever happened in the past? I know that's happened to us, and half the time we don't even ride together, right? We're texting or on the phone or whatever. Today we're talking about conflict, and I want to tell you the big idea up front. Uh, our big idea today is that uh, the health of a marriage isn't measured by a lack of problems, but how we handle them. Let me say that again. The health of a marriage is not measured by a lack of problems, but how we handle them. Every marriage has conflict. I'm going to say that again. Every marriage has conflict. In fact, let me just tell you this. If you're, if you're in a marriage and you never fight, let me tell you, that isn't healthy. I'm just telling you, it's not. And let me tell you the reason why. Is that tells me that one person has given up. One person has said, you know what, heck with it, I don't care what you do. And, and they just kind of just play, they play dead, they play possum. And there's, there, there's a, in the Bible, the Bible says that we are all sinners, we're all jacked up. And when you take one jacked up person and they marry and they start living with another jacked up person, what do you got? A jacked up marriage, that's exactly right. And you're going to have to fight for your marriage, and not just in your marriage, but fight for And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be seeing, because every couple's fight, we're going to be laying down some ground rules for when you get into the ring and before you start like you know throwing blows with your words and all of this stuff. All right. So that's where we're going to be looking at. We're going to start at Matthew chapter 5 in what Jesus, uh, we know as the Sermon on the Mount, and in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, it says this. You have heard the law when it says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And let me stop right there because that is the way most people approach marriage, isn't it? Right? You did this to me and I am going to do this to you. Right? In fact, let me tell you, here in, uh, in, in One Way Street, which is a K-5th through grade environment, by the way, we don't have that environment open today or next Sunday because we want to give our volunteers the, the couple of weeks off. But here's one of the things that they teach back there, all right? That you're to treat other people the way they would want to be treated. And that especially applies when it comes to marriage. We have this idea, you know what, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And because you didn't do this for me, then I am not going to do this for you. And we kind of use stuff. Women use sex as, as, as like getting back because you didn't do this to me. And guys use not pampering their, their wives because you didn't get what you want. And it's just like it's a hostage exchange. Right? If you do this, then I will. And that's how most people approach marriage. Look at verse 39. It says this, But I say, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. And if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. And let me tell you what Jesus is saying in these couple of verses we just got finished reading. He's saying, I want you to do whatever it takes to make this relationship work. I want you to do whatever it takes to make the relationship work. 
If someone smacks you on the, on the face, you've got three choices, right? I mean, think about this. You can, you can fight back, you can smack them back, you can run, or you can hang in there and do whatever it takes to make the relationship work. Jesus talks about with a soldier, if someone forces you to go one mile, you do whatever it takes, you go the extra mile. Jesus says when it comes to personal relationships, you and I must have the attitude that I am going to do whatever it takes to make this work. And that happens, you know, in in these relationships, but it should especially happen in this relationship. That I am willing to do whatever it takes to make my relationship with my wife work. Or you need to do whatever it takes to make the relationship with your spouse work. Be willing to do whatever it takes. Look at verse 43. It says this. You have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Now, I want to stop right there this morning because some of you, you're married to your enemy. Right? You're sleeping with the enemy. All right? Jesus tells you to do what? Love them. Love them. And pray for those who persecute you. Some of you are like, I'm praying. I'm praying that God will get them. Right? Some of you, you're praying what some people call imprecatory psalms. Go get them, God. Let lightning come down and you just fry them. And make sure that I'm nowhere close to them when you get them back. Right? That's not what this is talking about. He's not saying, so many, let me just say this, so many of us, we're so focused on the other spouse and what the other spouse has to do, and we're confessing their sins to God, when the Bible never says we need to confess other people's sins to God, it says we are to confess whose sins? Our sins. Exactly what it says in James chapter 5 verse 16. So, let me tell you, if you focus more on yourself and you becoming the right person instead of nagging your husband, come on, seriously. Or, or, guys, you yelling at your wife. If you spent more time focusing on you and what God needs to do through you, let me tell you, your marriage just may change by the end of the day. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It could change today. So what we're going to be talking about is healthy ways of dealing with conflict. You want to talk about some of the ways that's unhealthy of dealing with conflict? Well, let's just, I don't know that we would even say some of our unhealthy. I just think it's what we do um, when, we, when we look at conflict. There are several different ways that we approach it. And um, the first one, some of you, uh, well, probably throughout these next uh, several that we're going to list, you'll probably hear yourself in one of these. Um, what I want to say is if you are the spouse of someone, when you hear the one that you think that is your spouse, this number, um, if I see a lot of people doing like this, I know what y'all are doing to each other. Like, that is so you. You do that all the time. Um, the first one I want to talk about this morning is the freeze out. The freeze out. This is the one where there's, there's something, something's going on, but we're not going to talk about it. You know, we're going to fold our arms, we're going to turn our backs to each other, where I know what it is, and you might know what it is, or you might think you know, or I might think I know, but either way, we're not going to discuss it. We're just going to let it lie out there and create a level of tension and uncomfortableness and walking on eggshells. I know we've talked about that before. You know, it's the elephant in the room, and nobody really wants to deal with it. And no matter how long big the problem is or how long it's been around, we're just not going to deal with it. We're just going to let it be the thing that kind of is always somewhere in the level of we don't go there. So that's the first one is the freeze out. Some of you may have dealt with this with family members as well. So not, maybe not just a spouse, but maybe a family member or a friend. 
but the freeze out, we're, just, we're not going to touch it. We're going to leave it alone. The second one is the blowout. Um, now, I have to be really honest with you. The, the, these uh, characteristics that I'm listing here to you this morning, I, I've lived one of these on the way here in the car today with my son. Um, and, I'm not, and I'm not calling him out. He's, we, we were able to resolve before we walked in the building. But as I'm thinking about all of these characteristics, and then he says to me, Mom, you have a tendency to overreact. I'm hearing it in my head, blow out. Um, he's right. I overreacted on something this morning. I asked him to do something. It didn't get done. And I just, I jumped a few levels and went to hyper mode. Um, you know, I, I kicked some things, you know, I, I threw some things into a box and I was like, let's go. Um, I know, I know it's hard to believe. I'm glad okay, I wasn't we're moving here this on. Morning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So the, the, the blow up is the overreact. You know, it's the one where one minute everything's peaceful and the next thing it's like, what are you doing? You know, it's just that you're sweet and kind and the next minute it's like Beelzebub just showed up in the house. And, you know, it's just that you never know when it's going to happen. You don't know what's the trigger, what's the thing that I'm going to do or say, or is this going to be like a quick blow up and move on, or is it going to be like it's going to hang around for a while? Um, but, you know, there's, there's shouting and there's some, you know, some roughness and slam the door and move the chair. and uh, You know, it's just that thing. It's that blowout, otherwise known as the overreact. Um, so that's another way. The get out is another one. Now, this is the one where the conflict happens and I'm out the door. I'm not staying here. I'm not dealing with that. I'm not listening to you. I'm not putting up with that. You're not going to talk that way to me and I'm not staying here. And I get in the car and I go get a pedicure. But I'm saying, that's the way I'm going to deal with that. For other people, it might be like, I'm not hearing you. You're not speaking logically to me. I get in the car, I go to work. For somebody else, it may be I get in the car, I go to the bar. For somebody else, maybe I get in the car, I go to the mall. But whatever it is, you want to escape the issue that is currently at hand. And the problem that happens with the get out is it clouds the issue. Because when a person walks away from that conflict, all of a sudden there's another level of what are they going to? Mm. What are they going to do? Mm. And so now the thing that was the issue has got a cloud over it because it's like, Okay, well, why is that more important than what we were trying to deal with here? Does that make sense? So then you're sitting there. If you're the one that's still at home, you're sitting there thinking, well, where are they? And how long are they going to be gone? And you're texting or you're calling and you're not getting through. And then that, you know, that worry starts to build up. And the person who's out is, you know, working through what they're doing. And so when we, when we just leave the issue, when we just walk out, then we just added to it. Because now it's not just that thing, it's that what are we running to that kind of helps blanket that conflict that we're dealing with. Um, the problem hasn't been solved, and uh, it's, it's kind of that escape mode. And so until the next conflict comes around, then it's like, well, are you going to run out again? Um, so in Ephesians 4, verse 25, we're going to take a look at that. Um, there's some principles that we want to take from there. Um, as we're getting ready for that verse, I want to mention another one that wasn't in the list this morning, but Chris and I talked about it. Then th there's the guilt out. Um, now, I happen to have grown up with someone who was great at the guilt out. And if I did something that didn't please this person, it was that continual reminder of the thing that I had done or not done or didn't do um, that 
was just kind of brought up all the time, even when conflict wasn't going on. Some of you might have been there before. That's a hard one to deal with. Because what happens with that is it begins to transfer into other areas of your thinking. So you may be trying to do something or accomplish something the way you've been asked to do it. But then there's always this thought of, but I'm not going to do this right. I'm not going to get this right. I'm not going to be able to please this person. And so it becomes kind of a, it becomes a weight on the person who's trying to fulfill or not get into the guilt hole, if that makes any sense. So the guilt hole is the, is the other place. So, all right, so back to Ephesians 4.25. Um, this verse, the first part of this verse says, Therefore, you must put off falsehood and speak. We're going to stop there for just a minute. Put off falsehood and speak. First thing that we want to talk about today, watch what you say. In your anger, do not sin is another verse that comes to mind there. And, and a lot of times we get into the thing and we're just, we're just it's coming out. I'm, I'm feeling it and it's, I'm just going to let it all go. And I'm going to say some things that maybe I shouldn't say. I might say something that's hurtful. I might call a name. I might, I might take a jab at something from the past. And we have to really watch out because even though in that moment it seems like it applies... We have to remember that what we say will stay in the mind and in the heart of our spouse after we've spoken it. Even after the I'm sorry's have been said to one another, there's still that memory of, well, she thinks I'm worthless. Mm. He thinks I'm ugly. Thinks I'm, you know, always late. Oh, that's true. I am always late. So, um, anyway, but just that idea that we want to be careful what we say. You know, try not to belittle your spouse with your words. Try not to make the conflict about who can one-up each other at getting, you know, well, your flaw is this. Well, you do this. Well, you never do this. Well, you always do that. Avoid those type of extremes. Watch out for what you say. Number two, we want to speak the truth. Before you go there, one of the things I would say as well is when you're in the middle of a conflict, you have to have those ground rules. Divorce should never, ever show up in a conversation. It should never, ever show up. I mean, because when you throw that D word out there, it, it, it breaks the foundation of the trust and the commitment. In fact, one of the things that Kim and I, um, when we first got married, I think we shared with you guys, our first year of marriage was very difficult. Um, we just made the commitment that divorce is not an option. Is it? No. Now, what is an option? Murder. Murder is an option. Yes. Divorce is not. In fact, would you mind telling them about that time when, we, when I came home from seminary classes and stuff like that? Yes. Yeah. Um, some of you have heard this before. Um, Chris had already started seminary in Dallas, Texas, and I was still here getting ready for the wedding, and he came home, and we had this beautiful wedding. It was a wonderful day, and we moved back to Dallas, and we're living in this 450-square-foot apartment. I mean, we had to go outside to change our mind, you know, that type of apartment. And um, so we're, we're there, and I had gotten my full, first full-time job in the real world, and he's in school, and one day I came home, and I, I don't know if any of you ladies have ever been there, but it just, I just had that. What have I done moment? You know, just that moment of, oh my gosh, I think I made a mistake. And I just, I was just so, I was overcome with that. I was just like, what have I done? Why did I get married? It wasn't really so much about Chris as it was just like, oh, all this responsibility in life and blah, blah, blah. And I just couldn't take it. So I just went in the bedroom and I just got in the closet. 
And I just sat down in the closet. I was just crying, and I was just so upset and just grieving. And, and so Chris gets home, and he, he takes the two steps to get to the bedroom, and he, he opens up the door, and I'm sitting there just having a moment. And he looks at me, and he said, what's the matter with you? And I said, I have just realized that God hates divorce. And I have to cohabit a dwelling with you for the rest of my life. (laughs) And let me tell you what I did. Number one, there is no witty comeback after that. (laughs) I I looked at her in the closet and I'm like, okay. And I shut the closet doors and I walked away. (laughs) (laughs) That... (laughs) That was 19 years ago. I've learned a little bit. In fact, we were talking about this a couple days ago, and she says, you should have gotten the closet with me. That's what I said. And, and that's probably true. Just get true. in the closet with me, even if you don't know what to say. I mean, just get in there with a woman, you know? Sometimes you just got to get where your woman is. Yeah, you're right. So I've learned. Okay, I've learned. anyway. All right, so you're right. Really important. D word, not good. Even if you have to cohabit a dwelling for the rest of your life, right? Or murder. Um, okay, whoa, yeah. Uh, So number two, I'm sorry, speak the truth. If you want to have an intimate and dynamic relationship with someone, you're going to have to speak the truth to them. And that's not the truth necessarily that they want to hear or the truth that you feel like you've created in your little, in your mind, but the real truth. Back to Ephesians 4.25, it says, Therefore, you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, Jesus is talking about the church here in the big sense, that we have to be honest with one another in in his family, in this family of one church. We have to be able to go to one another and say, you know, this hurt me, or this made me feel this, or I'm sorry. You know, we have to have that open communication of speaking the truth. But when it comes to our spouses, it it works just a little bit differently because it sometimes comes about in unspoken expectations, That idea of, I've got things in my mind about the way that I think they should go or the way I think our home should be or the way I think our marriage should be, but I don't ever actually speak those out. So in my mind, it's running a certain way. I'm executing a plan. I've got it going on. But Chris has absolutely no clue about that. So I've got this standard in my mind, and then I'm disappointed when he doesn't meet that standard because I have not taken the time to speak truthfully to him about what it is that I see or desire or hope for or maybe something that God has laid on my heart. Um, You have to speak the truth. Now, I want to talk to the ladies right now. Sometimes we are more willing as women to speak to others about our men than to speak to our men. Yeah, no way. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) So we we will speak the truth about them. Yes, we will. But it will be on the phone. Oh, my gosh. Do you know what he did this morning? And I was running around. And he didn't. And so we're willing to put it out there with our girlfriends or with somebody at work or whatever. But we're not actually willing to turn face to face and look at our spouse and speak the truth to them. We've got to watch out for that, ladies, because when we do that, we just pull a layer of dignity away from them. You know, our, our men need that, they need a strong identity, and they need to know that we believe in them, and that we trust them, and that we've got their back. 
And so if they feel like we're willing to chitter-chatter to everybody else about them but not speak the truth to them, then we've just created a layer of mistrust there. And what we've done is we've basically said, you're not worthy for me to tell this to you because I don't believe you can't handle the truth. Oh. Mm. I was good. I actually got a movie good. line in there. You actually quoted a movie I line. I did. That's I know. So, um, you know, <laughs> sometimes we might chalk it up to say, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. You know, he's, he's sensitive. Well, you know, we just, we're just going to have to go there. Being truthful means being truthful. It doesn't mean being brutal. Please That's hear right. me. That's right. Being truthful is not being brutal. It doesn't mean say what you say at any cost, but it does mean find a way to speak. In Proverbs 27, 6, it says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You know, for me, the way that translates is that Chris knows me better than anybody else. And I know that if he's going to come to me and speak to me about something that he sees in my life, I have to know that comes from a place of love in him. That comes from a place of wanting the best for me. So let's be sure that when we're speaking to our spouses, that's the place that we're coming from. It comes from that love. It comes from that, I want to have a conversation with you because I care for you and I want to treat you the way I would want to treat my own body. I want to watch out for you and I want to be sure that the words that I speak are truthful. Mm. The third issue that we want to talk about in this rules for conflict is you have to be, number three, you have to be willing to settle the issue. Settle the issue. And this is what Ephesians 4.26 says. It says, in your anger, do not sin. We're going to stop right there. In your anger, do not sin. The Bible doesn't say anger is a sin. Did you know that? The Bible doesn't say that, you know, at every time you get angry that you're sinning. It does not say. There's going to be times when you get married that you're going to get angry. All right? There's just times of it. All right? The Bible says, though, when you get angry... Do not sin. That's key. I'm going to keep on reading. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Don't leave conflicts unresolved because unresolved conflicts leads to isolation. You know, we began this series and we talked about this natural drift towards isolation. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, uh, whom, whom God has made one. All right, no one should separate. But we have this natural tendency just to start, isolation creeps in, and one of the quickest ways for that to happen is through unresolved conflict. All right, the Bible commands us to settle the issue. Do you know anger has a shelf life? Anybody ever drank some milk that was past the due date? Nasty, right? You grab that gallon jug and you're like, I'm going to chug it. Right? And then spew right? Nasty. Well, let me tell you, just like milk has a shelf life, your anger has a shelf life. And the shelf life of your anger is uno deo, right? One day. God is commanding us, don't go to bed angry. Why? Because you're giving the devil a foothold. Let me tell you, last year, we had some people come and do some work on our house. And while they were doing some work on our house, um, our driveway got damaged. And I'm going to show you a picture. Um, we had a crack show up in our driveway. I don't know if you can see that real well, but just a little, a little bitty crack, all right? This happened about last October, all right? Now, that same crack, I want to show you a picture of it today. There it is. You see what's happened? The devil, I mean Bermuda grass, 
has gotten in that crack. And what's happening in that crack is that Bermuda grass, I mean the devil, is getting in there and it's starting to, se- and it's starting to separate and separate and separate more. And this right here can and will happen in your relationships, not just your marriage relationships, but in your friendships, in every relationship, if you go to bed angry. It will happen. What, where you used to have a good friendship, it's no longer a good friendship because there's some things that have happened in that friendship that you have let keep on going and keep on going and keep on going, and that anger has given the devil a foothold. And some of you, you're here this morning, and you're here with your spouse, and he did or she did something a long time ago, and it's still unresolved, and you've got this root of bitterness in you, and it's just growing and growing and growing like Bermuda grass, and you have to sit down, and you've got to turn face to face, and you've got to talk it out. That's what the devil does in many of our marriages. When you don't talk about and resolve anger, if you don't talk about the issue, something small can become something huge, right? I remember our first year of marriage. Let me tell you some of the smut that we fought about, okay? We fought about how each of us um, uh, squeezed the toothpaste out of the toothpaste tube. All right, has anybody else fought over something that dumb? Thank you, all right? We fought about um, how the toilet paper goes on the roll. I believe it should go over. It's under, baby. It's under. All right, let me tell you. I remember this um, in our seminary housing. Um, I like sweet tea, and Kim makes some great sweet tea, and she cut out like a little construction paper thing, put it in the refrigerator, and wrote T-E-A. And she says, this is where the tea pitcher will go in the refrigerator. <laughs> I'm like, really? All right? I'm like, baby, I love you, but I'm going to be doing really good just to get the tea pitcher back in the kitchen. Much less in that little spot in the refrigerator, right? I mean, there's just something about it. But you know what? We had to talk about that. Because what's important to her is not important to me sometimes. And what's important to me is not important to her. But we have to communicate about that. You have to settle the issue. The Bible says in all of our relationships, don't let the sun go down when you're angry. Ladies, I'm talking to you right now. The silent treatment worked well in the first grade. I'm just saying. All right? You know, you doing this silent treatment right now just proves just how immature you are. All right, now it's getting tense in here, isn't it? All right? I'm watching my wife out of the corner of my eye right now, all right? No, I'm serious. The silent treatment does not help resolve conflict. Guys, let me talk to you about it. Let me tell you, you, many of you become bullies. When you get into an argument, because you're losing the argument, all right? Um, And because you're losing the argument, you'll start raising your voice. And I'm telling you, that is nothing good comes from that. In fact, what it says in Ephesians 4.29 says this, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be benefit... so it may benefit those who listen. That, let me tell you what that, let me paraphrase that. What it's saying is, I shouldn't say anything if it's not going to build up Kim. Uh, we don't name call when we get into arguments. Um, we, don't, um, we don't make fun of one another. We don't belittle. We don't throw things at one another. We don't get physical. I don't slap her. She doesn't push me. 
right? That is, that is unhealthy ways of dealing with conflict. Unhealthy ways, all right? So when guys, when we're having a discussion with our spouse, we never need to say things that intentionally hurt. We only need to say things that build up. Now, that doesn't mean you don't speak the truth, but you speak the truth in what? In love. That's key. Men, let me challenge you this for just a second. It is our job. Mine and yours job to create such an environment in our homes that our wives feel like they can come to us and say anything to us at any time and we're man enough and secure enough to receive it and to do something about it. It's not, I mean, it's our job to create that type of environment in our homes. When wives begin to open up and to pour themselves out, we should never say, you shouldn't feel that way. That's the dumbest thing you can ever say as a man. I mean, women feel, right? They can't help it. They are more feelings-oriented, and we want to belittle them because they're feeling that way. What we need to do is we need to understand them. That doesn't mean we agree with them all the time, but we sit down and we understand. One of the things that Kim and I talk about, and we, I'm not the best at this when it comes to conflict. You know, I'll say, hey, but um, when we're struggling through something, and she'll say, you know, she'll say something, and I'm like, well, give me a for instance. You know, I want facts, right? Guys are more facts-oriented, ladies are more feelings-oriented. She'll give me the for instance, and then I will, then I will um, try to dismantle that for instance, right? And, 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 and I'm missing the point. I'm missing the point that I need to feel what she feels and understand what she feels. And, you know, and some of you guys are like, how do I do that? I don't know. She's your wife. You married her, <laughs> right? Good luck. Right, let me give you a Bible verse, James 1.5, pray for wisdom. That's a great one to go for, all right? I ain't got a clue. I do not have a clue. <laughs> That's true. All right, so when you get into an argument, you need to be willing to settle the issue. And the only way that happens is if you, if, if you are mature enough with you and your spouse to sit down and to talk about it. You have to be mature enough to talk about that. That's huge. Let me do a quick side note. It, it, many times, if you're in an argument, and, and if you have to win, you know what that means? And somebody else has to do what? Lose. And that is always a lose-lose proposition. All right? You don't fight to win in your relationship. You fight to understand what the other person is, is coming from. In fact, that's what we're going to be talking about next week is communication. Because one of the biggest reasons conflict happens is because men and women don't know how to communicate. Right? That's huge. All right? So, there you go. I think, too, one of the, the, when settling the issue, it can be a little bit more difficult with women, you know, because we have layers. You know, it's, it's never about one thing. You're like so an onion. Uh, thank you. I see a Shrek just, moment just here. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> this is not going to go anywhere good. i just, just feeling that. Something about stinky is going to come out. It's stinky onion, you make me cry. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's the second so, movie you quoted. Okay. Anyway. Um, you know, but just that idea that we, we may, even, even I know this happens with me sometimes, I'll feel like this one thing is the issue. Like I'm frustrated because I feel like I do everything around the house, whatever it may be. And so then I'll start trying to talk to Chris about it, and I'll get through that first issue, and then I'll be like, and we have no landscaping. And he's like, what? And we ran out of Lunchables. What? And the car has 150,000 miles on it. What? 
You know, you just are like, one thing goes to the next, goes to the next. Guys, just hang on tight. Be quiet and just go with it. And, and let, just and, go with it, friends. And let me it's say the best this. thing to do. The, the, uh, there's a great thing, and I, and I actually told this to my son, I think, this past week. With ladies, everything affects everything. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, if you're a single guy in here today, this is worth the, the $2 you're going to throw in the offering plate, all right? <laughs> everything affects everything. And that means when something doesn't go well on the job or in her family, this, when she gets home to you, all that's going to spill over. Guys, nothing affects nothing, right? But for them, everything affects everything. I'm just saying. That was great. Yeah, thank you, baby. Okay. So in light of that, as we have talked about throughout this series, we're going to come right back to a point that just is where we need to start and end, and that is that we submit to the Lord. You know, we can, we can spend a whole lot of time trying to figure each other out and trying to analyze communication skills and, oh, how do I fix it or how do I respond or whatever. But in the end, we have got to be sure that we are following the Lord, each of us individually. Together, yes, is great. But if I personally am not where I need to be in my relationship with the Lord, I can guarantee you that I get sideways with Him very quickly. Because what I tend to do is I expect him to be God to me. Or I try to be God to him. And I'll tell you something, I am not his Holy Spirit. You know, there's just some things that I might really want to try to convict him of or lay down on him. But that's not my place. I'm not Chris's Holy Spirit and he is not mine. Now, can I pray for that? Oh, you know I can. You know I can. So, uh, Ephesians 4 verse 30 says... We're going to have to submit to Jesus if we can communicate through conflict properly. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve. Have any of you ever felt that way with your spouse? You just see him come in the door and you're like, oh, here we go. You know, it's just that grief. It's just that, oh, there's just that thing and we've got to work through it. And I just want to say... We, number one, we don't want to be in grief with them. But number two, we don't want to be in grief in our relationship with the Lord. You know, we have been given, when we accept Christ, when we begin a relationship with him, we receive the Holy Spirit as a part of our lives. And sometimes we refer to that as, our, as the conscience. You know, when there's something that's not quite right and we hear that still small voice or we get that kind of rumbly feeling in our belly, you know, and we're just like, this is not right whether it's something that we're doing or something that we see in somebody else. And so my question is, deep in your heart, deep in your soul, is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about something that you need to speak about with your spouse? I'm just wondering if there might be some of you here today that need to go home and have a conversation about something. About it. Whatever it may be. Whatever it is, whatever the thing is that hangs out there. You know, not a conversation where you go home and you get all wrapped up in it and then it's like, well, your mama this and my mama that. I hate going here with your family. No, 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 no. We put away all the things about mamas and daddies and brothers and sisters in the past. You know, and I I just want to take a quick second and say, there comes a point where your past has to stay in the past. Mm. You did not marry your mama. You did not marry your daddy. Quit trying to bring them with you into the relationship with your husband or your wife. They're, they're going to resent them so much. When you got married, you left that behind. There has to be a time where we quit digging all that stuff up and we deal with where we are today. 
You know, so, so a lot of times we talk about going to marriage counseling in order to help us be there. And, you know, sometimes there's a partner that's like, oh, no, I don't want to go to counseling. I don't want to put my business out in the street. If you cannot communicate properly with one another, if you can't get past that wall of unforgiveness or pride or bitterness or whatever it is, I'm urging you, run to a counselor. Run. Right. There is no shame in that. Sometimes it is great just to sit down in the presence of someone who can hear what each of you is saying and say, now I hear you saying this, and you're sitting there thinking, that is not what I heard. I don't know who you are, but that is not what he just said. Because we're so emotionally wrapped up in a thing. So if you've just got this area where it just seems like you just can't get around it or above it or through it, go. If you don't want to go to a counselor, if that's too expensive, find another Christian couple that you can talk to. And just say, we just need to sit down in front of somebody and we just need to be able to talk to one another. Just as we want to submit in our relationship to God, we want to be sure that we're listening to him and seeing what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. We need to be that same place in our marriages. We've got to be willing to, to have that truthfulness and submit. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're actually we're going to talk about some more stuff, but we need to end because we have tons of questions. All right? So let's interact and kind of hear you guys' questions. Um, the first one is, uh, how do you deal with and show God's love in a way to a spouse that doesn't believe, especially when showing God's way through my own actions seems to fail miserably at every turn? That's a great question. I want to read to you a verse from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. And he's primarily talking to wives here, but to be honest with you, he could be talking to men as well. But let me read it to you. He says this, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words, and they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Let me tell you, if you have a spouse who doesn't believe, doesn't go to church, doesn't have a relationship with God, one of the best ways that you can do is just live that out. You don't need to speak that to them. You don't need to nag them about it or you don't need to hound her about it. One of the things you can do is you live a godly life. Kim actually made a point on that uh, earlier just by saying, if you want a godly marriage, that starts with you being godly. I don't need to focus on my wife, on her being godly. I need to focus on me being godly. Follow me on this one. If I am a good Christ follower and I'm getting deeper into God's word, and if she is getting deeper into God's word, guess what's going to happen? We're going to get closer to God and closer to one another. It's kind of, I remember this illustration, but if you have like a, a triangle, and God is at the top, and a spouse, a, a husband's over here and a wife is over here, as they get closer to Jesus, they also get closer to who? One another. That's exactly right. So um, I would just say you pray for that person, you pray for your spouse, and then you just live a godly Christian lifestyle and example uh, in front of them. Um, That's another good question. If we are, are supposed to treat others the way we want to be treated, why is it so hard sometimes? Well, we don't control another person. I know that seems like the obvious. Um, but, you know, sometimes the minute that we... I think sometimes the minute that we think, I'm not, I'm not going to let that thing get on top of me today, that attitude or whatever that is, then that is the very thing that we see in them, like right off the bat. Have you guys ever noticed that? So it's like, today that's not going to bother me. I'm not going to go there. And you walk in the room, you're like, good morning. And here comes the thing, you're like, oh. You know, and so I think when we do that, sometimes there's just that challenge of living that godly life. 
know, there's just a challenge of just being willing to lay that down and just being willing to just, um, whatever that issue is, continually just lift that up to the Lord. So that when that comes around, it's like, Lord, you have to handle that because I cannot. That's good. So That's good.